Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome. This is Just Human number 194. And uh, it happened. Trump was actually indicted. He was, well, he was arrested, but he wasn't ever cuffed and he wasn't mugshot, which I'm really disappointed about. I was really hoping that he would be mugshotted, and I, I know a lot of people were because it would be such an awesome image to have to get on coffee cups and shirts. And to, I mean, I think it'd be one of the coolest photos since like, um, like, like several, I, I'm blanking out right now on different rock musician photos, but that it would be that kind of a moment where you had like a, like musician photos, like Johnny Cash, like timeless legendary photos of someone just giving a finger to the system. It would be one of those types of images that would just be, it would just instantly become legendary. And, uh, I gotta admit, I'm a little disappointed that there wasn't a mugshot, but Oh, well, there were some amazing photos of him going to and from the arraignment. And uh, to start out, I want to say to everybody who tried to convince me that this was going to happen. I've been holding out until it actually did happen, uh, saying, no, Trump's never going to be arrested. That's not going to happen. He's not going to be indicted. The DOJ isn't going to indict their number one asset. And I was right in that second part that the DOJ didn't indict their number one asset and never have, but a Manhattan DA who campaigned on arresting Trump did. And so I want to say that everybody that made the case to me, of which there were a number of people who tried to make the case to me, um, often using my templates article, say, no, he's going to get arrested, Kyle. This is, it fits in perfectly with your templates idea. And I was really resistant to it. Like, no, Trump is an asset. They're not going to arrest him. And I was only ever thinking federally. I was only ever thinking federally. And the closer we got to it, the more it started to make sense why a Trump indictment, specifically one structured like the one we're going to go over this morning, would be beneficial and uh, could be part of the plan. And, uh, I didn't, I, I didn't believe it and you guys were right. So to everybody who tried to make the case to me that this was going to happen and, uh, especially those who used my own work to try and make that case to me, uh, I just got to give you a shout out and say, you were right. I was incorrect and, uh, good on you. Good on you. Um, it's been it's been really fun to watch all this happen. I had I enjoyed yesterday, um, although I was kind of pulled in a bunch of different directions because Tuesdays Tuesdays are kind of crazy in this house with kids activities. Um, on Tuesdays, Tuesdays are pretty packed with family stuff, um, after school stuff and whatnot. So I was kind of like pulled in several different directions trying to keep up with the news and the indictment, but also having to be dad. Um, but read the indictment and uh, got the statement of facts. And that's what we're going to go over this morning. We're going to dig into it and see what we can flesh out of it um, and get it, try and get a good understanding of it. So let's, let's go straight to it. Good morning, everyone. Appreciate y'all being here. Good morning to everybody watching on Rumble and Foxhole and DLive and on Twitter. Um, thank you for being here. Let's uh, go right. Where is it at? There we go. There's the button I want. 
Okay, so I'm going to skip some of the stuff about, you know, like him leaving to go to Mar-a-Lago. I mean, Trump was... Uh, I, I caught part of a Trononon's show where they were tracking his flight, and I thought that was really enjoyable, and I love that they were that they did that live show, tracking Trump's plane. And it really, I just... I enjoy, One of the things I enjoyed yesterday, before I get into this indictment, one of the things I really enjoyed yesterday is that the left... For the most part, on the whole, from what I observed, the the left and the Democrats and the NPCs and whatnot and the mainstream media, they were kind of meh. There was like just on the whole, just on average, they were just kind of like, yay, like they like there wasn't an a, a there wasn't jubilation. Like I'm sure some of them were, but for the most part, they were just like meh, <laughs> like. Uh, good, and then like a whole bunch of of them had uh, takes on it that like yeah this probably isn't gonna stick this isn't a very good indictment, and um, on the right with like normie MAGA and normie conservatives and even moderate conservatives they were just like all having Trump's back, um, and a lot of them were saying things about how bad this was and how bad this is for the country. And what a political persecution it is, and et cetera, those types of normal takes that you would expect. Uh, but Anons were over here, and all of us who have been tracking this so closely, and like the most hardened Trump supporters, the core, the ride or die Trump supporters, were just like, oh, you done it now. Like we were, we were just like, and we were jubilant. We we were the ones excited. Um, I didn't see any crowd, any group of people more excited than this community that I'm a part of because we all just have this ultimate faith in Trump and in the plan. And we also see how flawed this is in the, in the Pandora's box that has just been opened the door that has been breached by Alvin Bragg. So it's, um, it was, it was funny to watch how different groups, different communities reacted to this news and, and notice who was actually the most excited. Um, yeah, it's great. And there's a lot of people who are not Trump friends or allies who are coming out and supporting him in this. Um, it's amazing. All right. The indictment. Yeah. Giddy. Giddy's the word for it. DZ dork. Good morning. Yeah. I'm, I'm giddy too. <laughs> okay. So the indictment came out, it actually happened, and there are 34 counts in it, and they're basically all the same thing. If you read the actual indictment, it's pretty boring to to read. It just repeats a violation of penal law 175.10. So a violation of a, of a county of New York law, I think is what it is, or just a state of New York law, and the violation is falsifying business records in the first degree. And then it just repeats that exact same charge over and over again, all 34 counts. And it gives different dates. So March 17th, 2017, it says a detail in the ledger, an entry in the business records for one of Trump's business for the Trump org was falsified. And 
gives a, a voucher number for it, or it'll give an invoice number or a check number. And it just goes on like that. And what it is, it's every single entry that had to do with paying Michael Cohen. So it's every entry that sent money to Michael Cohen from like, what is this first one? From February, Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2017 to the last payment right here, which is December 5th, 2017. Okay. Um, and the, this last one records a check number. Some of them have voucher numbers. Some of them have um, another entry, another entry. I don't know if it says invoice or what, but it's a pretty boring read. And it just repeats that charge. They're charging him for every single time that between that time period, he sent a payment to Michael Cohen. What's far more interesting to read and what we will read is the uh, actual statement of facts. And I'm learning here and going over this, I'm learning that um, these indictments in New York and the statement of facts, they're not, they're not like what we usually see on this show with, um, with some federal charges. There's, they don't have to put everything in the indictment. They don't have to put all the charges in here, but you would think that Trump would want them to, so he could plead to what was included in the charges. I'll get to a little bit more of that later, but I am wondering if we haven't heard all the charges yet. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there that there's a chance we haven't heard every charge that is being brought against Donald Trump. And there's a reason you'll get why that is the case here shortly. So I'm going to go through my thread that I did because that just makes it, that's just going to be a lot easier. And I have a lot of important links in there. So um, all these counts are section 175.10, falsifying business records in the first degree. And what this says, what the law says is a person is guilty of falsifying business records in the first degree when he commits the crime of falsifying business records in the second degree and when his intent to defraud includes an intent to commit another crime or to aid or conceal the commission thereof. Falsifying business records in the first degree is a class E felony, and that is what he has been charged with. So see, there's this thing, another crime. In order for him to be charged with a felony here, he has to have done these things, put these false business records down and submitted them to state as part of an effort to conceal some other crime. What that some other crime is, Alvin Bragg hasn't told anybody. And the media has asked him about it. They asked him about it at the press conference yesterday, and he just kept saying, we're charging him with falsifying business records in the first degree. He hasn't said, what is this other crime that you're using in order to boost these from misdemeanor to felony? And that's why I'm thinking there may be more charges than what have been revealed. Maybe not. We'll see. So statement of facts came out after the indictment did. And this is where it starts. First part. Introduction, the defendant, Donald J. Trump, repeatedly and fraudulently falsified New York business records to conceal criminal conduct that hid damaging information from the voting public during the 2016 presidential election. 
from August 2017. So you would think this is this is where business records to conceal criminal conduct. What is the criminal conduct? What is the criminal conduct that he's talking about here? From August 2017 to December 2017, the defendant orchestrated a scheme with others to influence the 2016 presidential election by identifying and purchasing negative information about him to suppress his public, its publication and benefit the defendant's electoral prospects. In order to execute the unlawful scheme, the participants violated election laws and made and caused false entries in the business records of various entities in New York. The participants also took steps that mischaracterized for tax purposes the true nature of the payments made in furtherance of the scheme. So he's alleging an unlawful scheme here, but he hasn't charged Trump with an unlawful scheme. He hasn't charged him with conspiracy, hasn't charged him with any election law violations, hasn't charged him with anything like that, only the false records. And I don't know if it's the case that he has to charge him with the other crime that this felony is based on. I hope I'm making sense to y'all. If he he's using the idea that there was an unlawful, unlawful scheme, and he's saying that they violated, that Trump and others violated election laws, but he's not charging them with any any of those things or anything like it. He's only charging them with the false business records, which are normally misdemeanors. But because there's this other crime, he's boosting those up to a felony, but he hasn't charged that other crime. And I would think that in order to make these felonies, he would have to charge the other crime. You can't just allege there's another crime in order to change a misdemeanor to a felony, but never have to prove that other crime. So one thing that immediately stood out to me. All right. So getting into the statement of facts further in this, uh, in this paragraph here, lawyer a, and throughout this whole statement of facts, this lawyer a is Michael Cohen. Adult film actress is Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels. The Shell Corporation is Essential Consultants, LLC. And then it references Michael Cohen's uh, guilty plea, right? and I linked it here. One component of this scheme was that at the defendant's request, that'd be at Trump's request, a lawyer who then worked for the Trump Organization as special counsel for defendant, um, that'd be Michael Cohen, Covertly paid $130,000 to an adult film actress shortly before the election to prevent her from publicizing a sexual encounter with the defendant. Lawyer A made the $130,000 payment through a shell corporation he set up and funded at a bank in Manhattan. This payment was illegal, and Lawyer A has since pled guilty to making an illegal campaign contribution and served time in prison. Further, False entries were made in New York business records to effectuate this payment, separate and apart from the New York business records used to conceal the payment. Even though Trump, or well, let me read this. Go ahead and read this paragraph first. After the election, the defendant, that's Donald Trump, reimbursed lawyer A, that's Michael Cohen, 
for the illegal payment through a series of monthly checks. First, from the Donald J. Trump Revocable Trust, that would be the Trump Organization Trust, which was set up after President Trump won the election, a trust created under the laws of New York, which helped which held the Trump Organization entity assets after the defendant was elected president, and then from the defendant's bank account. Each check was processed by the Trump Organization, and each check was disguised as a payment for legal services, rendered in a given month of 2017 pursuant to a retainer agreement. The payment records, kept and maintained by the Trump Organization, were false New York business records. In truth, there was no retainer, and Michael Cohen was not being paid for legal services rendered in 2017. The defendant, Trump, caused his entity's business records to be falsified to disguise his and others' criminal conduct. Now, even though Trump was not physically present, this is my comment. If you're listening to the podcast, this is my commentary. Even though Trump was not physically present in New York during the dates given for some of the counts in the indictment, the payments went through the Donald J. Trump Revocable Trust and was and were processed by the Trump Organization, which are both in New York and are formed under laws of that state. The indictment alleges that Trump caused these payments and false business records to be created. The defendant, back to the statement of facts, the defendant is the beneficial owner of a collection of businesses, business entities known by the trade name, the Trump Organization. The Trump Organization comprises approximately 500 separate entities that, among other business activities, own and manage hotels, golf courses, commercial real estate, condominium developments, and other properties. The Trump Organization is headquartered at 725 Fifth Avenue in New York County. Now, an important, important, important point about this. I'm not saying that Trump being elsewhere doesn't matter. It does. I'm just saying that as I understand this, the trust and org being in New York is how the DA gets there on these counts and is able to, in his mind, charge these things to Trump, even though Trump wasn't in New York. And in fact, Dawson... The first uh, breakdown that Dawson has done on this indictment, he immediately went to, well, wait, where were, where was Trump on the dates that these transactions were, were done? And like I said, the indictment has falsifying business records in the first degree and then gives dates for each time that occurred. And Dawson immediately went out and said, look, let's see where Trump was on those dates. And sure enough, we have Comey's memos that show that Trump was in the White House in Washington, D.C. on Valentine's Day of 2017. And I saw elsewhere that that is also a day where he and Melania had dinner with uh, Chris Christie and his wife. On March 16th and 17th, Trump was also in the White House on April 12th and June 19th, which are more dates that are counted. Dawson said, I can't pin it down, but on April 12th, Trump was in the White House. For sure. Not sure about this other one. June 19th, which is counts 9 and 10, Trump was in the White House. Counts 11 and 12, May 22nd and May 23 um, for count 13. Trump was in Israel and in the Palestinian territories. 
On count 14, June 16th to 20 to 19th, 2017, and count 15 and 16th on June 19th, Trump was in Florida, Camp David, and also at the White House. On count 17, 18, and 19, which occurred on July 11th, 2017, it appears President Trump was at the White House on that date, preparing to fly to Paris. On counts 20, 21, and 22, which occurred on August 1st, Trump was at the White House. And you can see Dawson is just using Wikipedia. Like, he's just using Wikipedia's timeline of events and just, like, pulling out. We're like, oh, there we go. <laughs> President Trump hosted this business meeting in the in the White House. Oops, I misclicked there. Counts, 23 and 24, September 11th, 2017, and count, 25th, count number 25 on September 12th, Trump was at the Pentagon in Virginia and at the White House. Counts, 26, 27, 28. Occurred on October 18th. President Trump was in the White House. Counts 29 and 30 on November 20th. And count 31 on November 21st. President Trump was again at the White House. And counts 32, 33, which are from the December 1st. And count 34 on December 5th. Trump said, or Dawson said, I'm trying to find where he was in those dates. And uh, not sure exactly where he was. I don't know if he ever figured it out. Nope, he did. December 1st, Trump was at the White House, according to Politico. And on December 5th, according to Politico, Trump was at the White House. Now, the importance of this, and Dawson points it out here, and he also responded to my thread and pointed out to me, that look, the instructions, this is why it matters where he was. It matters where he was because according to the instructions for New York courts on the, this crime, on this penal law, the first element you have to prove is where the defendant was. It says, in order for you to find the defendant guilty of this crime, the people are required to prove, the people being the state of New York, are required to prove from all the evidence in the case, beyond a reasonable doubt, each of the following two elements. And the first element is, one, that on or about the date, in the county of New York, the defendant, Trump, made or caused a false entry in the business record, altered or erased, etc., omitted or make true, omitted to make tr true an entry in the business records. So, this doesn't destroy the the indictments and the counts, but it is an angle that I wouldn't be surprised if Trump's attorneys bring up and say, look, the first element they have to prove is that Trump caused these things to happen in this county of New York on this date. And Trump wasn't there. He had turned everything over to his trust. He was acting as president. And he was engaged in president, president activity. And they will list, here's where he was on this date. Here's what he was engaged in. Here's the meetings he had. 
Here's the trip he took. Here's the dignitaries he met with. Here's the officials he talked to. Here's his presidential daily briefing. Like they can go through all of those records and be like, look, he wasn't there. Can you show how, how did he make or cause a false entry to be made in the business records when he was in Israel meeting with Netanyahu or when he was in meetings all day in regards to whatever? I can see them making that angle of attack. And I, it's all, of course, it's important to keep in mind what the elements are, the crime and what the state has to, what Bragg will have to prove. It's not an end all be all, but it's notable. Trump's the defendants, a defendant's whereabouts always matter, <laughs> right? <laughs> the defendant, who, when you're charging someone, their whereabouts on the, on the date that the crime is alleged to have happened, it matters. All right, next part from the uh, statement of facts. One, the catch and kill scheme to suppress negative information. AMI CEO equals David Pecker. That's his name. During and in furtherance of his, David Pecker is the guy who owns National Enquirer and a number of other magazines. During and in furtherance of his candidacy, candidacy for president, the defendant and others agreed to identify and suppress negative stories about him. Two parties to this agreement have admitted to committing illegal conduct in connection with the scheme. That would be Pecker and Cohen. Uh, well, and Howard. Um, I'll show you those guys in a minute. In August 2018, lawyer A, Michael Cohen, pleaded guilty to two federal crimes involving illegal campaign contributions and subsequently served time in prison. In addition, in August 2018, American Media Incorporated, AMI, a media company that owned and published magazines and supermarket tabloids, including the National Enquirer, admitted in a non-prosecution agreement that it made a, a payment to a source of a story to ensure that the source, quote, did not publicize damaging allegations about the defendant before the 2016 presidential election and thereby influenced that election. A 2015 Trump Tower meeting in June 2015, the defendant announced his candidacy for president of the United States. He came down the, the es escalator. Soon after, in August 2015, the defendant met with Michael Cohen and AMI's chairman and chief executive officer, David Pecker, at Trump Tower in New York County. At the meeting, the AMI CEO agreed to help the defendant's campaign, saying that he would act as the eyes and ears for the campaign by looking out for negative stories about the defendant and alerting Lawyer A before the stories were published. The AMI CEO also agreed to publish negative stories about the defendant's competitors for the election. In this next part, the doorman equals a man named Dino Sahudin or Sajudin. I'm not sure exactly how he says it. A few months later, in or about October on November 2015 or November 2015, the AMI CEO learned that a former Trump Tower doorman, referred to in the statement here as the doorman, was trying to sell information regarding a child that the defendant allegedly fathered out of wedlock. At the AMI CEO's direction, 
AMI negotiated and signed an agreement to pay the doorman $30,000 to acquire exclusive rights to the story. AMI falsely characterized this payment in AMI's books and records, including in its general ledger. AMI purchased the information from the doorman without fully investigating his claims, but the AMI CEO directed that the deal take place because of his agreement with the defendant and lawyer A. When AMI later concluded that the story was not true, the AMI CEO wanted to release the doorman from the agreement. However, lawyer A instructed the AMI CEO not to release the doorman until after the presidential election, and the AMI CEO complied with the instruction because of his agreement with the defendant and lawyer A. Woman 1 in this next part equals Karen McDougal, the former Playboy Playmate. AMI Editor-in-Chief equals Dylan Howard. And we'll look at the non-prosecution agreement in just a moment. About five months before the presidential election, this is back to the statement, about five months before the presidential election, in or about June 2016, the Editor-in-Chief of the National Enquirer and AMI's Chief Content Officer contacted Lawyer A about a woman woman one, who alleged she had a sexual relationship with the defendant while he was married. The AMI editor-in-chief updated lawyer A regarding the, the matter over text message and by telephone. So they probably have these text messages. And they may have a recording of the telephone call, but they probably have the text messages. The defendant did not want this information to become public because he was concerned about the effect it could have on his candidacy. Thereafter, the defendant, the AMI CEO, and the lawyer A had a series of discussions about who would pay off woman one to secure her silence. AMI ultimately paid $150,000 to woman one in exchange for her agreement not to speak out about the alleged sexual relationship, as well as for two magazine cover features of woman one and a series of articles that would be published under her byline. AMI falsely characterized this payment in AMI's books and records, including in its general ledger. The AMI CEO agreed to deal to the deal after discussing it with both the defendant and lawyer A, and on an understanding from lawyer A that the defendant or the Trump organization would reimburse AMI. Now, this non-prosecution agreement is going to come up again. Um, I have it right here, and I linked it in there. It's... um. American Media Company. Um, let's see. Based on the corporation and implementation of remedial measures described below and strictly subject to the terms, conditions, and understanding set forth herein, the Office of the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York will not criminally prosecute American Media Company for any crimes except tax violations, if any, Related to its participation between and in or about August 15th, August 2015, up to and including in or about August 2016, in making a contribu- contribution and expenditure aggregating $25,000 and more during the 2016 calendar to the, um, to the campaign of a candidate for president of the United States, to the extent AMI has disclosed such participation as of the date of this agreement. This conduct is described more fully in the Statement of Facts, which is attached here too, and incorporated by references herein. AMI accepts and acknowledges as true the facts set forth. Moreover, if AMI fully complies with the understanding specified in this agreement, no testimony or other information given by it 
will be used against it in any criminal tax prosecution. This agreement does not provide any protection against prosecution for any other crimes, except for those set forth. So SDNY agreed not to prosecute AMI for this stuff, and they got cooperation uh, from AMI. I want to see where this line is about the cooperation real quick. It's further understood that this agreement does not bind any federal, state, or local prosecuting authority other than this office, the SDNY, this office will, however, bring the cooperation of AMI to the attention of other prosecuting offices if requested by AMI. It is further understood that the AMI shall prepare and distribute within three months of the signing of this agreement. They will improve their standards and their conduct training and employ retain. So that's AMI agreement with SDNY. I got that. Okay. Thank you guys for the, uh, for the rants and for the, uh, becoming a monthly supporter. Appreciate it. Um, thanks guys. Really appreciate it. It's pretty cool that you can do the monthly supporter thing now, especially since rumble gives, it gives the, whoever you do this, you subscribe to rumble gives a hundred percent of your dollar to, to the person you subscribe to, which is awesome. Okay. In this next section, TOCFO equals Alan Weiselberg or Weiselberg, Weiselberg. What I think it's Weiselberg in a conversation captured in an audio recording in approximately September, 2016 concerning woman one's account. The defendant and lawyer A discussed how to obtain the rights to Woman One's account from AMI and how to reimburse AMI for its payment. Lawyer A told the defendant he would open up a company for the transfer of Woman One's account and other information and stated that he had spoken to the chief financial officer for the Trump organization, that would be Alan Weiselberg, who gets out of jail later this month, by the way. He got five months and a fine for uh, embezzling, well, for tax fraud over the course of like 13 years. Um, he got, he got a fine and he got five months in prison. Um, they talked to him about quote, how to set the whole thing up. The defendant asked quote, so what do we get? What do we got to pay for this? 150 and suggested paying by cash. When lawyer a disagreed, the defendant then mentioned payment by check. After the conversation, Lawyer A created a shell company called Resolution Consultants, LLC, on or about September 30th, 2016. Less than two months before the election, on or about September 30th, 2016, the AMI CEO signed an agreement in which AMI agreed to transfer its rights to Woman One's account to Lawyer A's shell company for $125,000. However, after the assignment, ag assignment agreement was signed, but before the reimbursement took place, the AMI CEO consulted with AMI's general counsel and then told Lawyer A, Lawyer A that the deal to transfer the rights to Lawyer A's shell company was off. And I want to grab, I know this is going to be Cuomo, but I want to play this recording. It is a big night. 
Cuomo's only on here for a little while. It's a bad audio recording, guys, but it is the recording that they're referencing in the, those paragraphs. Here, I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. We have one of the Michael Cohen tapes, the secret recording of President Trump back in 2016 made by Cohen in which he and then-candidate Trump discuss arrangements surrounding a payment to former Playboy playmate Karen McDougal that was made by a third party David Pecker as head of the National Enquirer. This all happened in the months before the election. Now, this is not a great quality recording, and that will be relevant to its analysis. So first, I want to play you the entire recording, not all of which is relevant to the payment. So listen for yourself. Let me know what's happening, okay? Oh. Oh. Maybe because of this it would be better if you didn't go. You know, maybe because of this, for that one, you know, I think what we should do is get rid of this because it's so false what they're saying. It's such bullshit. I want to point out, he's saying like what they're saying is BS. It's all false. It's false. It's so false. And I think that's, I think that's important to keep in mind because Stormy Daniels at one point has said the affair never happened. So I think an important question here is let's say that Trump did do these, like, did do this. Let's say that Trump did cause these, what are alleged to be false business entries, okay? Let's say that Trump and Cohen and David Pecker were like, you know what, we're going to catch and kill these stories. But the stories are false. And they're basically creating... NDAs, non-disclosure agreements with people who are bringing false stories about Trump to try and damage his campaign. And so they're buying the rights to those stories to get those people to shut up with their false allegations until after the election is over. Is that a crime? Is it a crime to... If you have someone who's running their mouth and trying to sell a a false story about you to the media in order to damage you personally and damage your campaign. If you then get an NDA with that person and pay them to shut up about their false story, which they later admitted was false, is that a crime? I don't I don't think it is. And Trump right here in this recording is saying this is false. And Stormy Daniels later on said, I never had an affair with them. It was false. And the story the doorman was putting out was false. Anyway, back to the recording. I think I think this goes away quickly. I think what I think it's probably better do the Charleston thing. Just this time. Uh, yeah, 
In two weeks, it's fine. I think right now, it's it's better. You know? Okay, honey. You take care of yourself. Thanks, Pam. Yep, I'm proud of you. So long, bye. What's up, Mike? Great poll, by the way. Yeah. Seen it. Great poll. Making progress. Big time. And you guys are good guy. Oh, Pastor Scott? I can't believe it. No. Pastor Scott, what's, what's happening? Oh, no. Can we use him anymore? Oh, yeah. hundred. No, you're talking about Mark Burns. He, we told him well, to... I, I don't mean that. Uh, Mark Burns, can we use him no. anymore? No. Richard um, Lefra, I'm sorry. Richard uh, Lefra just called. He just had, we have a chance. He had an idea for you. Okay. Um, so we got served from the New York Times, I told you this, we were regarding to unseal the divorce papers with Ivana. Um, we're fighting it. Uh, Kasowitz is going we to... never be able to get that. Never. Never. So, in the first part of this, he was on the phone with probably Pam Bondi, because he said, thank you, Pam. And then now... He's talking to Cohen. That's the other male voice you hear. And Cohen just mentioned a, a CNN poll that was good, favorable for Trump. And then he mentions that we're fighting the New York Times to try and they're trying. The New York Times was trying to unseal Trump's divorce records with Ivana. And Michael Cohen is saying we're fighting that. Catholics doesn't don't ever be able. They don't have a. Give me a couple. They don't have a legitimate purpose. And you so. have a, a woman that doesn't want to see Correct. So, so you've been handling yes, and it's all it's been going on for a while. For about two, three weeks now. All you have to do is delay it for. Even after that, it's not going to ever be opened. There's no, there's no purpose for it. Um, told you about Charleston. Um, I need to open up a company for the transfer of all of that info regarding our friend David. You know, so yeah. that. I'm going to do that right away. I've actually come up and, I've spoken, me, and I've spoken to Alan Weisselberg about how to set the whole thing up uh, with so what are we funding. That, uh, yes. Um, and it's all the yeah, stuff, all the stuff, because, you know, you never know where that company, no, you never you know where he's going to be. Gets it, but Correct. So I'm, I'm all over that. And I spoke to Alan about it when it comes time for the financing, which will be... Listen, what financing? We'll have to... Okay, Cohen is articulating the catch and skill kill scheme that he and Becker have created. And he's saying, I'm, he even says, I'm all over it. I'm all over it. I'm, I've got this, I'm setting up this company. I got this figured out. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, it's all his deal. And I've talked to Alan about it. The, the chief financial officer, we got it figured out. We're just letting you know, Mr. We're letting you know, Mr. Trump, we got it figured out. And then he says about the financing, and Trump is like, what financing? No, 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 no. I got no, no, no. Hey, no, how are you? All right, now, a couple of things. There are side conversations. I wanted you. That's the recording they're referencing. And he says, I need to open up a company for the transfer of all of that info regarding our friend David meaning David Pecker. Trump says, what financing? And Cohen says, we'll have to pay. Trump says, pay with cash, but the audio is muddled and it's unclear whether he suggests paying with cash or not paying. Cohen says, no, no. But it's not It's not really clear what is said next. They may have a better recording of it that um, you could hear. They may have a way to clean it up and we'll hear a better, better one. Or Bragg has a better one that the grand jury heard. But, I mean, Cohen is advancing this saying, I got this figured out for you, sir. And again, they're false allegations that they're trying to head off. And I saw someone in comments mention extortion. I see that word coming up. Yeah, 
extortion. Okay. Next, from the statement of facts, suppressing woman two's account. So this is Stormy Daniels. She's woman two. About one month before the election, on or about October 7th, 2016, news broke that the defendant had been caught on tape saying to the host of Access Hollywood, something really embarrassing that has come back to bite Trump over and over again because obvious reasons. Trump said, I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. Just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. You can grab them by the genitals. You can do anything. The evidence shows that both the defendant and his campaign staff were concerned that the tape would harm his viability as a candidate and reduce his standing with female voters in particular. Well, of course. Um, I included a link here to an LA Times article that has a transcript. We're, of course, talking about the Billy Bush tape where Trump was recorded basically having locker room talk with someone and everybody in there was engaging in locker room type conversation. And I mean, to me, there's no like glossing over it and trying to like put a, put a rose on this. It was just locker room talk. And it was, uh, inappropriate for public. But I think it's hilarious that this allegation still comes up and they managed to put it in here in this statement of facts as if it somehow, it, it just, I don't know what to say. It's, it's just, it's not a crime. <laughs> it's not in here because it's a crime. It's in here because of what happened next. Woman two, Stephanie Clifford, Stormy Daniels. And lawyer B in this next part is Keith Davidson. So, shortly after the Access Hollywood tape became public, the AMI editor-in-chief contacted the AMI CEO about another woman who alleged she had a sexual encounter with the defendant while he was married. So I just want to point out, they that Access Hollywood piece right here didn't need to be included in the statement of facts. They could have left that out and then just put on or about this date, AMI editor-in-chief contacted AMI CEO about woman two. They just put this paragraph 16 is only in here in order to regurgitate the Billy Bush tape, which is old and isn't a crime. And it's just, that's, that's right. Um, I want to say Stephanie, it's S-T, it's S-F-T-H-E-N-K in chat. Um, they say, yeah, it's all just to smear Trump. That's right. That's the only reason this paragraph is in here is to just smear Trump and bring up something that's embarrassing. That's it. All right, back to this statement. On or about October 10th, 2016, the AMI editor-in-chief connected lawyer, Michael Cohen, with Stormy Daniels lawyer, Keith Davidson. Lawyer A then negotiated a deal with Lawyer B to secure woman to silence and prevent disclosure of the damaging information in the final weeks before the presidential election. Under the deal that Lawyer B negotiated, woman two would be paid $130,000 for the rights to her account. The defendant directed Lawyer A to delay making a payment to woman two as long as possible. 
He instructed lawyer A that if they could delay the payment until after the election, they could avoid paying altogether, because at that point, it would not matter if the story became public. He instructed, no wait, excuse me, as reflected in emails and text messages between and among lawyer A, lawyer B, AMI editor-in-chief, and lawyer A attempted to de delay making payment as long as possible. Now, <coughs> they have emails and text messages between Cohen, Davidson, and the editor-in-chief of AMI, which is uh, Howard, I believe. I think I already named him Howard. I don't remember if I included the link to him, who he is right there. It's somewhere in here. They... They have emails and text messages between those guys, but I don't see that it has, or at least they don't reveal here that they have any written communication between Trump and lawyer A directing him to delay paying her. But so what if he delayed paying her? The story was false. The story was false. So he was trying to prevent extortion. Well, he kind of did get extorted out of money, which and he got awarded. He got awarded a lot of money back, uh, including yesterday. He got awarded money from Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels owes Trump like six hundred plus thousand dollars right now <laughs> in judgment based from judgments against her. All right. Ultimately, with pressure mounting and the election approaching, the defendant agreed to the payoff and directed lawyer A to proceed. Lawyer A discussed the deal with the defendant and the Trump Organization CFO. The defendant did not want to make the $130,000 payment himself and asked Lawyer A and, the Trump, and the, the Trump Organization CFO to find a way to make the payment. After discussing various payment options with the Trump Organization CFO, Lawyer A agreed he would make the payment. Before making the payment, Lawyer A confirmed with the defendant that the defendant would pay him back. So... It doesn't say they have these in email and text messages here. They better have that. They better have a written record of these things because Michael Cohen has already pleaded guilty to perjury and is a, is a con convicted felon for perjury and for falsifying documents. So his credibility is a real problem. It's a real problem for Bragg. It may be the biggest problem that Bragg faces in getting a conviction on these charges is the credibility of his star witnesses who have both contradicted themselves and one of them is a convicted felon. On or about October 26th, shortly after speaking with the defendant on the phone, lawyer A opened a bank account in Manhattan in the name of Essential Consultants LLC, a new shell company he had created to effectuate the payment. He then transferred $131,000 from his personal home equity line of credit H-E-L-O-C, into that account. On or about October 27th, the next day, Lawyer A wired $130,000 from his Essential Consultants LLC account in New York to Lawyer B to suppress Woman 2's account. So here's a helpful chart that the Washington Post came up with to show how this, this worked. There's Michael Cohen's Home Equity LOC. It's with First Republic Bank, by the way. They've been in the news lately. $130,000 to Essential Consultant, which is also with First Republic Bank. And then the next, that was on October 26th. Then October 27th, 
sent it to Keith Davidson at City National Bank and his account there. And I can't, I can't help but point out all this other money that went to essential consultants. Columbus Nova is Victor Vexelberg's company. And Victor Vexelberg sent Michael Cohen a half a million dollars between January 20, 2017 and August 2017 because he was trying to buy influence with the Trump campaign. And Victor Vexelberg is a Clintonite. He's a Clinton Foundation donor, and he is involved in Uranium One, and he is a sanctioned oligarch right now. Um, so I, I'd still hold out that I, th I think there's a strong chance that Victor Vexelberg comes up or evidence is introduced during the course of this case that has to do with the money that was sent from Victor Vexelberg to Michael Cohen and what it was for. Um, I wonder what communications Michael Cohen has between those two. Then there's also money from Korean Aerospace Industries, $150,000, AT&T, $200,000, Novartis Investments, $400,000. What are all these other, what's all this other money for? And then Cohen paid Elliot Broidy, or no, Elliot Broidy sent $62,500 to Cohen's shell company. And then he sent $387,500 to this real estate attorneys group, which then sent that exact same amount to Keith Davidson. So why was Elliot Broidy transferring almost $400,000 to Stormy Daniels' lawyer? The answer to that question may already be out there. I don't know what the answer is, um, or I've forgotten it, but Elliot Broidy, a convicted felon who's involved in the 1MDB scandal, which Pross Michelle is on trial right now. Um, I wonder what this is for and what did he pay Michael Cohen for? I would guess it would be to buy, try and buy favors with Trump. I'm not sure. And then out of this shell company, Cohen takes a payday of just over a million dollars and puts it in a Morgan Stanley account. This chart is so useful and I'm really thankful that um, Mean One Gene over on Twitter sent me this article because of this chart. Really helpful. All right, back to the statement of facts. On November 8th, on November 8th, 2016, the defendant won the presidential election and became the president elect. Thereafter, AMI released both the doorman and woman one from their non-disclosure agreements. The defendant was inaugurated as president on January 20th, 2017. Between election day and inauguration day, during the period of the defendant's transition to his, his role as president, the defendant met with the AMI CEO privately in Trump Tower in Manhattan. The defendant thanked the AMI CEO for handling the stories of the doorman and woman one and invited the AMI CEO to the inauguration. In the summer of 2017, the defendant invited the AMI CEO to the White House for a dinner to thank him for his help during the campaign.
Shortly after being elected president, the defendant arranged to reimburse Lawyer A for the payoff to he made on the behalf of the defendant. In or around January 2017, the Trump Organization CFO, that'd be Weiselberg, and Lawyer A, Michael Cohen, met to discuss how Lawyer A would be reimbursed for the money he paid to ensure Woman 2 silence, that'd be Stormy Daniels. The uh, Weiselberg and Cohen, no, Weiselberg asked Cohen to bring a copy of a bank statement for the essential consultant's account showing the $130,000 payment. Weiselberg and Cohen agreed to, to a total repayment of $420,000. They reached that figure by adding the $130,000 payment to a $50,000 payment for another expense for which Lawyer A had also claimed reimbursement. That totaled up to $180,000. Weiselberg then doubled that amount to $360,000 so that Lawyer A could characterize the payment as income on his tax returns instead of a reimbursement. And then, because of doing that, Lawyer A would be left with $180,000 after paying taxes on the income. Finally, Weiselberg added an additional $60,000 as a supplemental year-end bonus. Together, these amounts totaled $420,000. Weiselberg memorialized these calculations in handwritten notes on the copy of the bank statement that Lawyer A had provided, so no doubt Bragg has notes showing how they figured this out. Um, just to make clear, instead of saying, here's a straight-up reimbursement for what you've spent, they doubled it to make it so that it would be income to Cohen, after, and then they, he could report it as income, 50% of it goes to taxes, which is a crime. <laughs> Taxation is theft. Um, he had to pay $50,000 to the bag men in the government. And then what he would be left with was re the reimbursement. So that's it. And also this is where somewhere in here it alleges like misfiling taxes, but they don't charge them with any tax crimes. But that's what they're getting at is this right here. That, oh, you did something shady and these are false tax records, but they still paid on the taxes. Like, they gave you money. Whatever. Whatever. All right. Next part of the statement. The defendant, the Trump Organization's CFO, and Lawyer A, then agreed that Lawyer A would be paid the $420,000 through 12 month monthly installments of $35,000 over the course of 2017. Each month, Lawyer A was to send an invoice to the defendant through the Trump Organization employees, falsely requesting payment of $35,000 for legal services rendered in a given month of 2017 pursuant to a retainer agreement. At no point did Lawyer A have a retainer agreement with the defendant or the Trump organization. All right. Commentary point one. Opportunity here for Trump to produce that retainer agreement. It says more than once in here that there was no retainer agreement. But if it comes out there actually was, then this, it's, this blows up. This is blown up. 
because especially if the retainer agreement spells out that it was 35, they, he agreed as part of the retainer to pay $35,000 per month to Cohen. I don't, it says over and over again, definitively, there is no retainer agreement. So there probably isn't, but if there is, and Cohen's been lying about it, then this is done. Two, prosecutor in the Cohen investigation said Tuesday, this is a quote, a prosecutor in the Cohen investigation said Tuesday that Cohen sought reimbursement for that money by submitting invoices to the candidate's company, which were untrue and false. They indicated that the reimbursement was for services rendered for the year 2017, when in fact the invoices were a sham. This is crucial. This is from the Washington Post back on August 22nd, 2018, after Cohen pled guilty. As part of what he pled guilty to, he pled guilty to making false invoices for payment. So the documents that this thing is using to say Trump was responding to these and he was using it as a scheme to hide reimbursement of Cohen... Cohen has already said these are false. He already, when he pled guilty, he said and admitted that the invoices he submitted to Trump's company were untrue and false. That means Trump can just say, I'm getting invoices and I'm paying them. I'm paying bills. That's what I'm doing. And actually, even more so than that, Trump can say, I never personally paid these things. I put my company in a trust and I separated from my company when I became president. The entire time these payments are going out, I'm president and I'm not engaging in any of this activity. It's being handled by my trustees that are running my business empire that I am have separated from because I'm currently president. That's another hurdle for Bragg to jump over is that these things were happening while Trump was separated from the organization that the invoices were being submitted to. All right, next statement. In this state, in this um, part of the statement, um, Trump organization controller is Jeff McConney. Trump organization accounts payable supervisor is Deborah Tassaroff. Those two people were the first witnesses called by the prosecution in the Weiselberg case. So good bet that they have both testified to the Bragg grand jury. Um, also a good bet that Weiselberg has, has testified. I may, he may have that may, all three of these things may be in the news that the, all three have testified, but I would expect these people, if this ever made it to trial, I would expect these to be among the people that are called to testify in it. From the statement. In early February 2017, the defendant and lawyer A met in the Oval Office at the White House and confirmed this repayment arrangement. On or about February 14, 2017, lawyer A emailed the controller of the Trump Organization the first monthly invoice, which stated, quote, Pursuant to the retainer agreement, kindly remit services, payment service, payment for services rendered for the month of January and February 2017. 
The invoice requested payment in the amount of $35,000 for each of those two months. The Trump Organization CFO approved the payment, and in turn, the Trump Organization controller sent the invoice to the Trump Organization Accounts Payable Supervisor with the following instructions, quote, post two legal expenses, put retainer for the months of January and February 2017 in the description. Everybody was at, everybody in this was acting as, as as if there was a retainer agreement. Some of these lines from this next section are copy pasted from Cohen's guilty plea, which is going to be a problem. Check this out. From the statement Lawyer A submitted 10 similar invoices by mail to the Trump Organization for the remaining months in 2017. Each invoice falsely stated that it was being submitted, quote, pursuant to the retainer agreement and falsely requested, quote, payment for services rendered for a month of 2017. In fact, there was no retainer agreement and Lawyer A was not being paid for services rendered in any month of 2017. The Trump Organization controller forwarded each invoice to the Trump Organization Accounts Payable Supervisor. Consistent with the Trump Organization Controller's initial instructions, the Trump Org Accounts Payable Supervisor printed out each invoice and marked it with an Accounts Payable stamp and the General Ledger Code 51505 for legal expenses. The Trump Organization maintained the invoices as records of expenses paid. As instructed, the Trump Org Accounts Payable Supervisor recorded each payment in the Trump Organization's electronic account filing system, falsely describing it as a legal expense, pursuant to a retainer agreement for a month of 2017. The Trump Organization maintained a digital entry for each expense called a voucher, and these vouchers, like vouchers for other expenses, became part of the Trump Organization's general ledgers. The Trump Org Accounts Payable Supervisor then prepared checks with, atta with attached check stubs for approval and signature. The first check was paid from the defendant's trust and signed by the Trump Organization CFO and the defendant's son as trustees. The check stub falsely recorded the payment as retainer for 1-1 through 1-31-17 and retainer for 2-1 through 2-28-17. The second check for March 2017 was also paid from the trust and signed by two trustees. The check stub falsely recorded the payment as retainer for 3-1 through 3-31-17. So one of Trump's sons signed this. I don't know if it was Junior or Eric, but they're trustees as part of the Trump Org Trust while Trump is president. And Weiselberg was part of that trust. Now, this is from... Cohen's guilty plea. Throughout 2017, Michael Cohen, the defendant, sent one or more representatives of the company, the company is a Trump org, monthly invoices, which stated, quote, pursuant to the retainer agreement, kindly remit payment for services rendered for the relevant month in 2017 and sought $35,000 per month. The company accounted for these payments as legal expenses. 
In truth and in fact, there was no such retainer agreement, and the monthly invoices Cohen submitted were not in connection with any legal services he had provided in 2017. During 2017, pursuant to the invoices described above, Michael Cohen, the defendant, received monthly $35,000 reimbursement checks totaling $420,000. Right here, next part of the statement. The remaining nine checks corresponding to the months of April through December 2017 were paid by the defendant personally. Each of the checks was cut from the defendant's bank account and sent along with the corresponding invoices from Lawyer A from the Trump Organization in New York County to the defendant in Washington, D.C. The checks and stubs bearing the false statements were stapled to the invoices after bearing false statements. The defendant signed each, each of the checks personally and had them sent back to the Trump Organization in New York County. There, the checks, the stubs, and the invoices were scanned and maintain, maintained in the Trump Organization's data system before the checks themselves were detached and mailed to the Lawyer A for payment. The $35,000 payment stopped after December 2017. So it alleges here that the last nine checks were signed by Trump personally, but it was in response to invoices that he was given from his organization. Um... One thing that on the first read, let me, let me read this again. The invoices from Cohen. Each of the checks was cut from Trump's account and sent along with corresponding, corresponding invoices, which were false from Cohen from the Trump organization in New York city to the defendant in Washington, DC. So right here, they admit Trump was in DC when those payments were happening. They sent the invoice to him and the checks, the checks and steps bearing the false statements were stapled to the invoices, also bearing false statements. The defendant signed each of the checks personally and had them sent back to the Trump org in New York County. So it does sound like he signed them by hand, not an auto pin, or they weren't checks that were pre-signed that he left with the company or whatever for this purpose. Um, they sent them to New York to DC. He signed them. He sent them back. But again, he's responding to the invoices that he's being presented with, which are false. Next part of the statement. On or about April 9th, 2018, the FBI executed a search warrant on Lawyer A's residences and office. In the months that followed, the defendant and others engaged in public and private pressure campaign to ensure that Lawyer A did not cooperate with law enforcement in the federal investigation. On the day of the FBI searches, Lawyer A called to speak with the defendant let him, to let him know what had occurred. In a return call, the defendant told Lawyer A, stay strong. On or about April 21st, 2018, the defendant publicly commented on Twitter, encouraging Lawyer A not to flip, stating most people will flip if the government lets them out of trouble, even if it means lying or making up sto stories. Sorry, I don't see Lawyer A doing that. And I have... Trump's series of tweets right here. From April 21st, 2018. The New York Times and a third-rate reporter named Maggie Haberman, known as a crooked H flunky, who I don't speak to and have nothing to do with, are going out of their way to destroy Michael Cohen and his relationship with me in the hope that he will flip. 
They use non-existent sources and a drunk, drugged-up loser who hates Michael, a fine person with a wonderful family. Michael is a businessman for his own account lawyer who I have always liked and respected. Most people will flip if the government lets them out of trouble, even if it means lying or making up stories. Sorry, I don't see Michael doing that despite the horrible witch hunt and the dishonest media. All right, I'm going to I'm going to I can't move on from this part without uh making some giving some commentary. So the Michael Cohen raid is something I I it's an inflection point to me in the uh story of Trump and Cohen and the band and everything that's going on in the witch hunt. Um one, because Trump calls it a witch hunt. Two, because Cohen had been Trump's personal attorney and they'd known each other for over a decade. Um, well over a decade, I believe. They were close. And we know for a fact from the, um, was it Buryev? Buryakov? Berlikov? Whatever. We know from the indictment of the Russians that were running in, in the bank. I can't remember the names of the bank right now, VBE or whatever with the Trump tower, Moscow deal, the Trump casino in Moscow deal. We know for a fact that Michael Cohen and Felix Sater were working together as assets for the FBI running a sting operation on some r swampy Russians. And that was the whole purpose of the Trump tower, Moscow deal. Cohen getting raided on April 21st, 2018. The FBI collected all sorts of documents and recordings during that. And what did they do? They used a filter team to go through those things. And then they hired Barbara S. Or they, Barbara S. Jones was appointed. She wasn't hired. Barbara S. Jones was appointed as a uh, special master to go through the documents and the emails and all these other things because... You have a lawyer here, and there's attorney-client privilege at play. And it's never been revealed what all was gathered during that raid. But there's good reason to believe that it wasn't just stuff that Michael Cohen was being investigated for right then. And it's also worth mentioning that Cohen was looked at by the Mueller special counsel, the Mueller special counsel was supposed to be investigating Russia, Russian collusion and Russian interference in the 2016 election. And yet he's raiding Michael Cohen. And it had to do with Michael Cohen lying to Congress about when discussions of the Trump Tower Moscow deal stopped. And I have long thought and still do that this is part of the kayfabe that Trump and Michael Cohen previously worked together and are still working together, that they are on the same team. And I don't believe that Michael Cohen did flip. I think that Michael Cohen screwed up. I think Michael Cohen hid some money. He was making off taxi medallions and lied on his taxes. I think Michael Cohen lied to Congress about when, <clears throat> 
discussions about the Trump Tower Moscow deal stopped. But as I said on my show last week, I think Michael Cohen did that to try and cover for the larger sting operation that is going on. Michael Cohen didn't want to discuss how far, he didn't want to reveal to Congress how far those discussions took place, how far into the year those discussions took place, because that would lead to them finding out that Michael Cohen and Felix Sater were supposed to attend the St. Petersburg Forum where Danchenko would attend and would make up a whole bunch of rumors that he would then give to Christopher Steele to, to go into the Steele dossier. And I think a part of the reason that Danchenko ended up at the St. Petersburg Forum is because Cohen and Sater had, Cohen specifically, had tentatively agreed to be at that forum, and then he canceled two days before it occurred. I think Cohen kept those discussions going of the Trump Moscow, Trump Tower Moscow deal. He kept those discussions going, he and Sater, in order to bait the swamp into sending their assets to the St. Petersburg Forum in the hopes they would meet Cohen and get some rumors and get some influence into the Trump campaign. But they baited them with their conversations and baited them with their agreement to go to that forum. Then they pulled out the last moment, which left Danchenko without someone from the Trump camp to try and extract some rumors, try and get, extract some information from and without someone they could buy influence with. So he was forced to make up some stuff. He made up a PP tape story uh, that he heard from a comedian. He made up all sorts of other things. So I think Cohen lied not to lied to Congress about this, not because he's an idiot. I think he lied because he didn't want to reveal to them anything more than he absolutely had to about the Trump Moscow Moscow Tower deal, and also think about who was in the House and the Senate that he was testifying before. It was the House Intelligence Committee, and it was the Senate Intelligence Committee, and I think there were people on those committees that were leaking. So he didn't want to tell them, even in a classified session, all that he knew. He wanted to hide these things from him. The Mueller Special Counsel starts investigating him, and I think they got a lot of evidence from him, and they ended up having to charge him with perjury. But they had to charge him with lying to Congress because it was very obvious he had lied to Congress, and he admitted it, and he put in a guilty plea for that. Where's it? It scrolled up on me. And I still think Cohen is working with Trump. And I actually think Stormy Daniels is too. Y'all can call me crazy, but uh, how else do you think they've timed this thing so well? <laughs> how, el how else could you time this indictment so well if you didn't have people involved in it working with you, right? So, next part, next part of the statement. I don't know who lawyer C and lawyer D are. Um, let me see if anybody has commented to me on this specific one telling me who they are. Let me see. Nope. Okay. I don't, I am not sure who lawyer C and D are in this section. I wish I was. I wish I knew. 
and I'll probably figure it out at some point. I searched some of these quotes and I didn't find, um, I didn't, I didn't find any news articles that gave me a clue as to who exactly it was, but the possibilities are Robert Costello, who previously te recently testified to the grand jury, David Schwartz, who was an attorney for Cohen, Rudy Giuliani, and Lanny Davis. All of these people are possibilities as far as who are lawyers C and D. All right, next statement. In mid-April 2018, Lawyer A was also approached by attorney, Lawyer C, who offered to represent him in the interest of maintaining, quote, a back channel of communication to Trump. On or about April 21st, 2018, Lawyer C emailed Lawyer A, highlighting that he had a close relationship with the defendant's personal attorney, Lawyer D. See, one of Trump's personal attorneys was Rudy Giuliani, so I think Lawyer D is Rudy Giuliani, and I think Lawyer C is Robert Costello. But I'm not positive, but Giuliani and Costello are tight. So I think there's a strong possibility C is Costello, D is Giuliani. Not positive, though. Later that day, Lawyer C emailed Lawyer A, again writing, I spoke with Lawyer D, very, very positive. You are loved. Lawyer D said this communication channel must be maintained. Sleep well tonight. You have friends in high places. So that was right after he got raided that they told him that. And I, I think that raid is really important. I wrote about it in my templates article. And uh, I think it set, I think it was the first template on how to, because what's the present, think about the precedent that the raid on Michael Cohen established. The FBI raided a personal attorney, a former personal attorney for the president of the United States. How many personal attorneys for Bush and for the Clintons would you like to see raided by the FBI? And in raiding that person, raiding Cohen, they set a precedent and a framework for how to do that. Use a filter team that can go through the material seized and filter out things that don't fall within, separate things that are possibly attorney-client, attorney work product privilege, separate those things from the other things that are respondent to the search warrant. And then the stuff that is possibly attorney-client privilege or attorney-client work product gets turned over to a special master who examines each one individually and is a third party that can rule on what can be allowed to be used and what is protected. That same exact same thing and the exact same special master, Barbara S. Jones, was used in the Cohen raid, the Rudy Giuliani raid, the Project Veritas raid, and she almost got used in the Trump Mar-a-Lago raid, but instead they chose someone different. Um, but someone also who is, has a history with a lot of band members. Um, so to me, it's a pattern. And I look for it. Yeah. Mermaid Miss K. Good morning. Yeah. Mark Elias. Yeah. Iowa Trump. Good morning. Mark Elias. That's exactly who I'm thinking of. That's who I want to see rated. Okay. 
On or about June 14th, 2018, Lawyer C emailed Lawyer A a news clip discussing the possibility of Lawyer A cooperating and continued to urge him not to cooperate with law enforcement, writing, quote, The whole objective of this exercise by the federal prosecutors is to drain you emotionally and financially until you reach a point that you see them as your only means of salvation. That's true. That's. That's yeah, that's what federal prosecutors do to try and get someone to flip. Yep. In the same email, lawyer C wrote, you are making a very big mistake. If you believe the stories, these journalists are writing about you. They want you to cave. They want you to fail. They do not want you to persevere and succeed. That's also true. What he was told was true. Both of those things. Cohen entered a guilty plea in August of 2018, August 21st. The next day, Trump said on Twitter, if anyone is looking for a good lawyer, I would strongly suggest you don't retain the services of Michael Cohen. Later that day, the defendant posted to Twitter again, I feel very badly for one of his former campaign managers who had been criminally charged saying, unlike Michael Cohen, he refused to break, make up stories in order to get a deal. Guys, the tweets that Trump has in regards to Michael Cohen are so obviously kayfabe. <laughs> it's so obviously over the top, this classic Trump kayfabe. Um, also, it's classic Trump kayfabe with Maggie Hagerman. <laughs> if you guys haven't picked up on that. Uh, <laughs> Trump's Trump's feud with Maggie is uh, is fake. All right. So Cohen pled guilty to these things. AMI has their non-prosecution agreement, which here is the one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's the same one. I linked. I want to make sure I had that link right. Next section from the statement. Ultimately, other participants in the scheme admitted that the payoffs were unlawful. In or about September 2018, AMI entered in an, into a non-prosecution agreement with the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York in connection with AMI's payoff of Woman 1, admitting that at no time during the negotiation or acquisition of Woman 1's story did AMI intend to publish the story or disseminate information about it publicly. Rather, AMI admitted that it made the payment to ensure Woman 1, quote, did not publicize damaging allegations about the defendant before the 2016 presidential election and thereby influenced that election. Truth in God, thank you for the rant. And that is correct. The um, That drop does hit this year. That is correct. We'll see. It seems like a long way away from where we sit right now. What's in that drop manifesting, but things are also accelerating. So we'll see. Next part of the statement. In August 21st, 2018, lawyer A pleaded guilty to a felony in connection with his role in AMI's payoff to woman one, admitting in his guilty plea that he had done so at the direction of the defendant. Lawyer A also pleaded guilty to a felony in connection with his payoff to woman two to secure her silence at the direction of the defendant. Lawyer A admitted as part of his guilty plea, and it has these are basically the same statement right here, just a, once for Karen McDougal and the other ones for Stormy Daniels. But in bold is in coordination with and at the direction of 
Trump. So they have to they have to prove that element. They have to prove this element right here. But Trump was acting as president at the time. He had separated from his company, was president. It was all as part of a trust. The statements that he that the trust was responding to and that by extension he was responding to to cut the checks were false invoices that Cohen admitted were false. Don't want to grab this yet. Hold on. Okay. So that's the final page. Basically, the next part is some signatures. So that's basically the end of the statement of facts. So I've covered all 34 counts for you guys. It's each payment that was made to Michael Cohen. Now, to wrap this thing up, some commentary on this. The New York Times published this yesterday. Asking, is paying hush money a crime? In most cases, the answer is no. Hush money payments, hush money agreements, otherwise known as non-disclosure agreements, have long been used by companies and private individuals to avoid litigation and keep embarrassing information confidential. Harvey Weinstein, the former producer convicted of rape, used such an agreement for years to conceal his harassment and assault of women. Of course, that is who they choose to mention in this trying to make it seem like Trump is another Harvey Weinstein. But the question is thornier when it comes to candidates in the midst of political campaigns and has not been often posed in federal or New York state courts. As it relates to former President Donald J. Trump and the porn star Stormy Daniels, the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg is expected to reveal his answer on Tuesday when his office's indictment of Mr. Trump is to be unsealed. A hush money payment can constitute a crime if made to protect a, a political candidate. Federal and state campaign laws require payments made in connection with elections to be reported. And if they are made by third parties coordinating with the candidate, such as Mr. Trump's former fixer, Michael Cohen, they are subject to certain limits. Mr. Cohen paid $130,000 well beyond the legal federal limit in the days before the 2016 presidential election to keep Ms. Daniels quiet about her story of a sexual encounter with Mr. Trump. Now, the only crime charged in all this, th in this whole thing is falsifying business records. That's normally a misdemeanor, but Bragg is charging it as a felony, yet he doesn't charge any other crimes or even spell out what the other crime is, which is what allows him to upgrade the charges into a felony might be. He alludes to an election crime, but he doesn't spell it out and he doesn't charge it. So the crime doesn't exist for him to, for him to boost this up. Now, there are so many problems with this thing. It's difficult to know where to begin, but just to name a few, one, Stormy, has previously stated there was no affair, which would make her allegation false and would mean that Trump wasn't trying to prevent embarrassing information from coming out. He was trying to prevent false claims from coming out. And you could even argue that he was being extorted for money, that Stormy extorted him for money in order to keep quiet. And so he was, pay he was being extorted and he's actually the victim here. 
Another thing is that Cohen pled guilty to falsifying the very invoices and records these charges are built on. Cohen also pled guilty to lying to Congress. So there are serious concerns about Cohen's credibility. Weisselberg pled guilty to 15 felonies recently, and one of the crimes was falsifying a payment to his wife. So you have credibility problems here with Weisselberg also. And if he comes up there and testifies about these documents, they can impeach him on, did you know these, these documents were false? You've previously pled guilty to falsifying payment documents. How do we know that you didn't falsify these payment documents? Another thing is that Trump separated from the Trump org entirely when he became president and turned it over to trustees. Trump wasn't even in New York on any of the dates mentioned in these counts. The fact Trump wasn't in New York during the alleged criminal acts, but was instead in D.C. and elsewhere, would normally kick this thing over to the SDNY. Think about it. That makes it interstate. That means that this thing is happening across state lines. Normally, the federal government, the FBI, and the Justice Department would handle such a thing. But the SDNY already looked at this exact matter and decided not to charge it. They had two reasons, reportedly, although they've never, re they never revealed it. They've never revealed exactly why they, they didn't charge Trump for this. Um, but reportedly, it's because they had concerns about Cohen's credibility and because there is a DOJ legal opinion that dates back to the Nixon administration that says, quote, the indictment or criminal prosecution of a sitting president would unconstitutionally undermine the capacity of the executive branch, branch to perform its constitutionally assigned functions. And this is important to keep in mind, not just with this matter, but more so with President Biden. A lot of people are praying like crazy that President Biden is going to be indicted for something. I don't see that happening. And a big reason I don't see it happening is because of this right here. Now, he can be impeached. And then he could be charged. But honestly, I don't think that's the route this whole thing is going to take. As disappointing as that might be for some folks, I don't think that's the the route that this whole thing with Biden is going to take. Why would you, uh, well, I don't think that's the, that's the path, but we'll see. I've been wrong before. So SDNY already looked at this. The feds already looked at this matter. It should be a federal matter. It should be a federal matter because Trump was not physically present in New York committing these acts. It happened across state lines. If he's involved at all and personally responsible for this scheme, these crimes that are being alleged, the falsifying business records, then it happened across state lines and it's a federal matter. And again, the underlying crime that Bragg is using as a basis to bring what would normally be misdemeanors as felonies isn't even named or explained in the indictments or statement of facts. One would assume that it's campaign finance fraud or similar but the FEC already looked at this matter and decided against bringing charges. 
from May 6th, 2021, the FEC drops case reviewing Trump hush money payments. If it is an election crime, if that's what Bragg is saying, look, there's a campaign finance fraud or campaign interference, something like that. Something to do with, if there's some sort of election crime here that Trump is concealing through this payment scheme, well, the FEC already looked at this and said, nah, there's no crime. We're not bringing charges on this. The state of New York doesn't have jurisdiction over federal election crime. That would be the FEC. We're not talking about a state candidate for office in New York, a rep or a uh, senator or something. We're talking about a federal election. We're talking about a candidate for a federal office. And so campaign finance fraud or similar should be investigated by the FEC. And it was, and they dropped the case. Lastly, there's the issue of the statute of limitations. The alleged crimes took place outside of the five-year limit. There's a two, I think it's a two-year limit on misdemeanors and a five-year limit on felonies, I think is what it is. But I, I, I know that it's five years on this thing right here. Even the most recent payment is outside of the five years. This website, Just Security, which is not a fan of Trump and uh, is run by a bunch of lefties, basically. Uh, but it's a decent site to get some information if you just put your filters on. They acknowledge this and they're like, you know what? The only way they can get around this is through this concept of tolling is what it's called. Let me, um, where'd it go? There we go. They write the first hurdle and one not discussed in a book referenced by Pomerantz or book Pomerantz's book, um, is a statute of, of limitations. So six years and counting have passed whereas charges in a case of this kind must usually be brought within five years. The New York State Legislature has determined that this is the cutoff for all but a handful of crimes, generally violent ones such as murder or terrorism, but that's not what we're talking about here. Even if we count from the date of the final payment on December 5th, 2017, that was more than five years ago. But there are exceptions that allow Bragg to overcome this hurdle. For example, there's a New York law that allows for what's called tolling or a told statute of limitations. And this is used when a defendant is continuously outside of the state. When a defendant is out of outside of New York, it is more difficult to bring them into court and it is only fair that the prosecution has more time. So New York's high, highest court has interpreted the statute to mean that quote, all periods of a day or more that a non-resident defendant is out of state should be totaled to determine how long the statute of limitations must be told. And the appellate court in Manhattan has found that such tolling applies to residents and non-residents alike. The residency distinction is potentially important as Trump officially changed his residence from Manhattan 
to Florida in September 2019. Nevertheless, that judicial decision is currently being reviewed by the Court of Appeals. So what this means is if they can apply this here, which is debatable because it's under review by the Court of Appeals and Trump's team could make an argument um, against this, but they could argue, Bragg's office could argue that the only days that count towards the statute of limitations are the days that Trump actually spent in New York since the crime. So if he spent a whole, as president, he's traveling around the world, he's mostly in D.C., he's not in New York that often. If he comes to New York and he's there for a full day, it counts towards the statute of limitations. Otherwise, the clock stops every time he's outside of the state. So they would have to go through and find every day that he was actually in New York since the alleged crimes add those days up and see if they total less than five years. And that's how they get around the statute of limitations. Now they haven't argued that that is how they're going to do it. I'm just saying that that is one possibility of how they deal with the fact that these, the statute on these things has expired. So, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's more holes in this indictment that I haven't noticed and Trump's counsel they see them. But the next dates the next dates in this case that are really important are discovery which the judge said they have to produce within 65 days. Trump team has until August 8th, the 1 year anniversary of the Mar-a-Lago raid by the way. They have until August 8th to file any motions that they want to file, including a motion to dismiss, which probably will be their very first filing. Prosecutors have until September 19th of this year to respond to any filings by Trump's team. And the judge is going to have his next hearing to rule on motions on December 4th. So the trial schedule they have put out now is long or the case schedule, it's long. Like we're not, Trump's not supposed to be in court and Bragg's team isn't supposed to be in court again in front of the judge until next December. I don't think, I don't think it goes that far, but I could be wrong. I do think that discovery is going to be spicy. And so is Trump's team's motion to dismiss. I think that Trump's team should, I mean, I'm no lawyer, but I think that Trump's team right now, they're thinking we have all the time in the world to deal with this and we shouldn't do anything much until we get the discovery. Like they don't want this case. They definitely, 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 definitely do not want this case thrown out until they get discovery. <laughs> um that's what they want. They want that discovery. Uh so I'm really looking forward to them getting it too. Now, as regards how far I think this thing will go and how under threat Trump actually is, 
I mean, just look at the man. Does Trump look like a man who is under threat? Or does he look like a guy who is about to go to prison? Or who's been caught in some criminal activity? Does he look stressed at all? And the biggest, the biggest tell that Trump is okay, and this thing is, in my opinion, part of the plan, and that this thing is, I mean, I'll just say, I think it's a controlled op. I think it's a controlled op by Trump. The biggest tell of all that Trump is not worried about going, being convicted of this is that he hasn't shut up. If Trump was actually under threat of going of, of getting convicted on this, if he was actually under threat of not being able to run for president because of some charge that is coming, or if he was actually under threat of having to pay something or jail time or uh, whatever, if his candidacy in 2024 was under threat by this, his lawyers would be telling him, shut up or we're leaving your team. They would be doing everything they could to get Trump to shut up. They wouldn't want him campaigning, doing rallies. They wouldn't want him uh, truthing out in all caps lock on true social. They wouldn't want him doing speeches at Mar-a-Lago. And yet he's doing all of those things. As soon as, as soon as it was over, as soon as he got back to um, Mar-a-Lago, he shared some articles, and then he started. Uh, he went and he spoke at Mar-a-Lago, and he gave a pretty, pretty normal Trump speech. It wasn't anything too spectacular. It wasn't bad at all. It was just a normal Trump speech. He didn't go too much into rally mode. It was more presidential mode. It was very matter of fact. And that is not normal for someone who's just gotten hit with 34 felony counts. A person who was really worried about being convicted and had just been charged with 34 felony counts wouldn't be getting up on stage to speak I mean, unless they could just get up there like real quick and say a few sentences and get off. You wouldn't, they definitely wouldn't talk about what had just happened. So I don't, I don't think Trump's worried and I don't think his lawyers are worried and I'm not worried. I think. What just happened yesterday is we crossed the Rubicon, as Bill Barr said, and I agree with Victor Davis Hanson that Alvin Bragg changed the course of history today. 
over a felony, quote unquote, of a real estate magnate allegedly exaggerating the value of some of his properties and for mislabeling a supposed campaign expense. Was he thinking of the slap on the wrist fining of Hillary Clinton for really disguising her payments to campaign hire, British subject, and dossier fabricator Christopher Steele by labeling them legal expenses? And that's right, you guys may remember that in February of last year, as Julie Lewis points out, Hillary was fined for doing the same thing, only worse. And Julie Lewis writes, I'm still struggling to understand why these situations are different. It's a fact. Hillary's campaign was able to settle an FEC investigation with a $113,000 fine for obscuring monies on the steel dossier expenses arguably to influence the 2016 election. It is easily found in the public record what the specific violations were. So what would prevent another state prosecutor from making the case they misclassified steel costs to cover up expenses being used in a way with certain media and articles to attempt to influence the 2016 election? These shouting law and order, those shouting law and order should explain why it's different, why they can't and shouldn't bring an indictment like we all are five years old. And especially if she was the front runner dim candidate right now. And she's right. The FEC looked at Hillary Clinton's expenses during the 2016 election, and they said, look, you, uh, you called this stuff something other than it was, and what it really was was election interference. You, you paid Fusion GPS and Christopher Steele and all these others for opposition research, and um, you didn't report it as a campaign expense. So you're fined. They admitted guilt. If Trump is guilty of something here, then it should be charged under federal campaign finance law. But as I already showed you, the FEC looked at this matter and said, now we're dropping this. By the way, Trump was offered to do the hearing by Zoom. And he was like, no, nah, I'll show up in person. That tells you that Trump wanted this. And the popular narrative of this being a persecution of Trump, which I'm not saying it's not, but the popular narrative that is out there in the normie sphere is causing even some of Trump's harshest critics to back him up, such as Justin Amash, John Bolton, and Mitt Romney, who have who are all defending Trump and saying that the Manhattan DA should not have brought this. And I've seen a number, I saw that, I didn't grab the clip, but CNN even had a lawyer on who was like, yeah, this is weak. And I saw other um, MSM outlets saying, this is not it. This is not the indictment we want. This is not the indictment that's going to put Trump away or prevent him from running. Um, there's all sorts of problems. I didn't see any jubilance from the mainstream media. I didn't see any real celebrating. Here and there, I saw some people that were like, 
Finally, Trump got arrested. Yay. But it was the exception. For the most part, the mainstream media, the people who have been cheering for a Trump arrest all these years are like, uh, I don't think this is going to go so well. And I've even seen them say, not like this. This isn't what we wanted. This isn't the indictment we want. My ver to wrap this up, thank you guys for watching today and uh, listening to me. Um, I have one last point I'm going to make before I end the show, and it's probably the most important point. Um, if you like the show, share it. If you um, hit the thumbs up over on Rumble. And again, thank you for the rants. Thank you for the gold pills over on Foxhole. Thank you, guys. Um, if you guys are interested in supporting the show and the work that I do, buymeacoffee.com slash justhuman. I run on caffeine and I'm all out. Um, or go to my substack, justhuman.substack.com. That's where I publish the podcast. And that's where I occasionally publish an article, which I may have one coming soon. And there's also some other links. My merch shop, Red, White, and Bourbon 45, has excellent coffee mugs. Um, nice big coffee mugs. I love them. And uh, BensonHoneyFarms.com, where you can get yourself some honey. If you use and if you use rep code just human, it helps me out. You get some raw, pure honey directly from the beekeepers. So those are the ways to support the show. Now I'm going to make the final, most important point, and I hope that all of you feel as strongly and as about this and as as confident as I feel about this. I hope y'all realize that Trump just won the GOP primary and the 2024 election. He won. He is obviously enemy number one of the deep state and the swamp. And he has secured that status as their number one enemy. And he was just gifted all the oxygen in the room. His voice has never been more powerful than it is right now. And he's ever, never had more people listening to what he has to say than he does right now. He even has opponents of his or prospective opponents of his that are going to face him in the primary defending him. And there are a ton of people who are ride or die with Trump like me and probably like pretty much everybody watching the show who are ride or die with Trump. And we were going to vote for Trump in the primary anyway. Right. But I think there are a ton of people who like Trump and voted for him previously, but we're thinking mm, we may need someone else this time. Trump was great, but he's getting older and we've already tried it and he didn't, maybe they think he didn't accomplish as much as what we hoped he would. Let's try someone else like the Santis or someone else. And I think those people are like, you know what? F it. I'm voting Trump.
There are more people who support Trump today than ever before. Trump ended yesterday with more support from people of all political persuasions than he started the day with. And this indictment has just set a precedent that local DAs and state AGs can go after swampy politicians for crimes they committed within those DAs and AGs jurisdictions, even crimes that the federal government doesn't go after them for. Any DA or AG who wants to make a name for themselves can decide, I'm going to take a look at this 501c3 or this other organization who is helping some swampy candidate or some swampy company, and they're laundering money through my state. That puts it in my jurisdiction. I'm going to charge it as a state crime since the FBI won't investigate them. That's the door that's been breached. That's the precedent that's been set. It's the precedent that I didn't think of. I didn't think of this. I didn't think about what would happen if a local DA brought a charge like this, what it might mean for others. It's uh and it's it's even better because this case is going to fall apart. This case is so poorly set up, yet it still sets that precedent. It still creates that that breach for local DAs and AGs to bring such cases. Um, it still sets that up, but it does so with a case that is doomed to fail. How perfect is that? How perfect is that? So it it accomplishes those objectives. There's going to be evidence introduced, gives Trump all the oxygen in the room, gives him more support than he's ever had, and yet the case is doomed to fail. Trump is safe. The swamp is not. Yesterday was a good day. <laughs> so guys thank you very much let me i saw a couple of rumble rants um mermaid miss k good morning thank you for the rant and uh yeah thank you very much for the congratulations you have been here since the beginning and i really appreciate it my friend critter 64 thank you for the rant you say let's get let's get kyle up on the leaderboard hit that thumbs up and thank you for being a monthly supporter, Critter. Yeah, guys, um, my show on Monday hit the leaderboard on Rumble, and that was awesome. Um, and that's all That's all y'all. That's all y'all hitting that plus sign. I really appreciate it. JC Bird, thank you. And uh, yeah, God bless you too, man. All right, guys, let me um, grab 
let me grab some music. So what a, what a great day. What a great time to be alive. I am, I am so comfy. I hope y'all are too. Now, before I end my, 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 my quote that I used at the end of the show that we're not going to win any battle, every battle, I want you to think about what could happen with these charges. It could be that these charges, which are a charge for each payment, right? They could get all condensed into like five charges, three, five charges, right? And, uh, the case could get dismissed. Um, the case Trump could get acquitted. Trump could get a not guilty verdict. It could be dismissed with prejudice. It could be dismissed without prejudice. There's all sorts of things that could happen with this case. And I would tell you to keep in mind, we're not going to win every battle. And that includes with this case. We might not win every battle as regards this indictment of Trump, but we will win this war. So God bless you. Stay positive and you'll have a great day. I'll see you tonight on the Devolution Power Hour.